Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Eric. This morning we are kicking off a new series that's going to take us through the summer on prayer and praying like Jesus taught us to pray. And my hope and desire is that through this is that we would grow individually, that we would grow as a congregation, that we would grow uh, not only in the habit and practice of prayer, um, but that we would grow in knowing our Heavenly Father and knowing Him more deeply and knowing Him more intimately. It was partway through the ministry of Jesus that His disciples finally asked Him to teach them how to pray. And this is what Jesus says to them. We're going to begin at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will the heavenly Father give? the Holy Spirit, to those who ask Him. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would meet us, that Your Spirit would commune with us and strengthen us. Lord, that we would know You more deeply, more intimately, more experientially through prayer. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So, how, how do you pray? I mean, literally, how, how do you do it? How do you pray? You know, I think most Christians would say that, yeah, I, I could stand to improve my prayer life. My prayer life is something that I, I could grow in. And most Christians would readily agree that Christians are to live a life of prayer. And I think if we consider it, pause and reflect on that for a few moments, I think we'll realize that we're actually a lot like the disciples of Jesus. You see, the disciples of Jesus knew that they ought to pray. I mean, they prayed when they went to worship services. 
They were in a community that prayed at social functions. They prayed before they said grace. Maybe they prayed before they went to bed. And as the disciples of Jesus, they watched Jesus pray. And they watched him pray a lot. They watched Jesus pray at his baptism. Right before Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, they are, the disciples are watching Jesus pray. They themselves are not praying, but they're watching him pray. At the transfiguration where the glory of God is revealed in Jesus, and Jesus has this conversation with Moses and Elijah in their glorified state, it occurs while Jesus is praying and while they have been watching him pray. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, they are watching Jesus pray and Jesus invites them to. The disciples certainly had this acknowledgement that believers are to live a life of prayer. But here's probably a more realistic picture or definition of what is a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows that they ought to pray, but doesn't. And that's what we actually, not that that's not what they should be, but that's who they actually are. And that's who we actually see the disciples of Jesus to be, is that when Jesus was typically praying, the disciples' most common response was to sleep. When Jesus was up early in the morning and, and praying, the disciples would come around and say, where have you been? We can't find you. It's that they, they were either asleep or they were getting on with their day and getting on with their chores. And there's multiple examples in the Gospels of Jesus praying and his disciples falling asleep. In fact, one of my favorite examples of this is at the Transfiguration. This monumental moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus is revealed in his glory in, in blazing light, Elijah and Moses from in their eternal state of glory are conversing with Jesus. And here's what the disciples are doing. This is what Luke records. He says, now about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James. He took the inner circle and Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became, became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and what is going to happen in the history of the world, right? I mean, epic moment in the life of a disciple. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, okay? But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with them. It's kind of like the life of a disciple was, Jesus says, prayer time, we say nap time. This is going to work out. And so this moment here with, at the transfiguration, Jesus is praying, like the glory is dazzling white. Elijah and Moses appear. They're talking about what's going to happen at the end of the world. And they're like, Jesus, could you like turn that light off and quiet down? Like, I'm trying to get some sleep here. And they don't even realize what's going on. It says they were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they're like watching this. It's like, when is he going to be done? You know? And then they realize the transfigure, then they, then they see what exactly is happening in this moment of transfiguration. I would venture to guess that our own struggles in our life, in our own prayer life, revealed probably a bit of a similar pattern. That followers of Jesus today are people who realize that they ought to pray, but don't really pray. 
I mean, you look at the pattern in Jesus' life, is that Jesus set deliberate, un- deliberate times aside in his day for the sole and only purpose of prayer. How about us? For many of us, it's an add-on. Maybe something that we do when we're going to somewhere or from somewhere. Maybe we do it when we hear something that we're thinking about that we need help on. We say, oh dear Lord, would you please help me with this? And we shoot off a prayer at that moment. Prayer for Jesus revealed to other people his relationship with his heavenly father. I would venture to say that prayer probably does the same thing for us. I mean, just consider the discomfort that so many of us feel or our refusal to pray when other people are around. That we're more concerned about what other people might think than about talking with our Heavenly Father. I mean, imagine this. Imagine a group of, I don't know, maybe a group of teenagers are deciding that they're going to go ask their dad for something. Who knows what it is, right? They're going to go ask their dad for something, and the person... You know, the, the, the teenager whose father they're asking this request of goes up and says, you know, hey, Dad, um, we were talking and we were wondering if, you know, we could go see, I don't know, Avengers Endgame, but we want to go to the midnight showing, right? And the request goes, and then after they finish talking, the rest of the friends are like, wow, what a stupid way to talk to your dad. Like, you were such a bumbling moron the way that you phrased that. What would be the response? They'd be like, shut your mouth. He's my dad. I've got a relationship with him. I don't care if you hear how I talk to him. I'm talking to my father. And so, yes, like Jesus, prayer reveals our relationship with our father. And so you see also for Jesus that for Jesus, prayer was concentrated and it was focused. And it was uninterrupted. For us... I think probably for many of us, our prayer is interrupted by our cell phones, by text messages that are coming in. Oh, wait a second. I need to check the weather. Oh, did someone post something on Facebook? Oh, hold on a second here. Let me, let me find out. Oh, where was I praying about? I forgot what I was just praying about. Is that our prayer is interrupted by so many things and so many different patterns. But for Jesus, prayer was concentrated and was focused. And so the disciples at this point in Jesus' ministry are people who ought to pray but don't. And there are people who are watching Jesus pray, and they're taking naps instead. But at about this point in time in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples, he's about halfway through Jesus' earthly ministries, ministry. The disciples have had some failure in their ministry, and they're watching Jesus. And they're watching Jesus pray, and for some time reason, this time they see something different. And maybe it occurs to them, they say, you know what? If Jesus needs to focus on prayer this much, if Jesus needs this communion with his heavenly Father, if Jesus experiences Jesus who is God, fully God, fully man, if Jesus needs devoted, uninterrupted time to spend with his heavenly Father, maybe I do too. And so the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, Would you teach us to pray? And he gives them, and he gives us this answer. And I hope that this will be something that over the next several weeks, the Lord will use to grow us 
in communion and in experience with knowing Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, these words might be a little different than you're used to. That's because in the gospel accounts, there's two different versions of the Lord's Prayer. And what's important here is not the specific wording, but the fact that they each address the same categories. Something else we need to understand that what Jesus is doing here, when they say, Lord, would you teach us to pray, is that Jesus is giving them a framework for prayer. What are you to pray about? What are you to cover in your prayers? Here are the categories. Here are the, here are the prayer triggers. Here are the cues of different things to frame our prayers. Here is, a, here is a construct. Here is a framework. Here are things to remember to prompt you to pray. Jesus wasn't saying these are the only words that you can say, but here are categories to do that. You know, in the you know, Bible-believing church, there's other frameworks that people use. Sometimes they use the ACTS acronym, which is fine. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Sometimes people use the PRAY acronym, P, praise, repent, ask, and yield. Those are frameworks to guide prayer. Jesus is saying to us, here is a framework to guide your prayer. So what we're going to be doing in this series over the next several weeks, which will take us through the end of July, is what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer as a framework for how he is teaching us, how the Lord is teaching us to pray. A framework to use in your own life in categories to cover. Now, going into this, I want to make you aware of just a couple different resources that we've got that are available to you. Um, One of those is if you're, just in terms of as a community growing in prayer, um, some things that we have. One, if you're not on our prayer chain, which uh, people can share prayer requests on, you can email the office or email Crystal Rapp. Crystal, would you wave? Where are you? Crystal back here. Email Crystal, and um, she'd love to get you connected on that. Also, we have a Cornerstone Prayer Group Facebook page. This is a private group. It's not publicly accessible. Um, Crystal manages that as well, and that's just a forum for us as a church community to put prayer requests and to have people praying for each other and to encourage one another. So I would encourage you to use that. Other things that we've got, um, one is there is a prayer calendar which is put out um, that's available for you, and this will be updated over the course of the next month. And these prayer requests and items to focus your prayers on will also be put on our Facebook page and also on, our, um, also on the prayer chain. Next thing I want to draw your attention to is the sermon notes guide that you have. As a framework for prayer, uh, on the second page of this, this one says the Lord's Prayer. And each week during this series, what we're going to have is a series, different prayers actually drawn from Scripture that use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for praying. These were actually developed by Matthew Henry. Some of you know his name from more than a century ago. And uh, the one that's included here is, this is the Lord's Prayer for children. Um, (laughs) 
as you read through that, uh, you might say, wow, that doesn't really exactly sound like a prayer for children. It was 150 years ago. Just think about that for a little bit. Um, but the point here is that these are, you can see the Lord's Prayer laid out, but categories in a framework to pray. And so we're going to have a series of those on, um, drawing from different scripture verses so that we would learn to pray and learn to pray as Jesus teaches us to pray. So let us look at this here as we enter into this prayer. We're going to go through this as a framework and category of prayer. These are prompts and cues for things that we should be praying for and should be addressing in our prayer. Jesus begins by saying, Father, or in Matthew, our Father. We're going to return to this one in a minute, and it's a really um, critical point, departure, for how we begin to pray. What's the next category? It's this one. Father, hallowed be your name. That is, God, would you, I am praying that and asking, Lord, that your name would be holy, that your name would be honored, that your name would be revered to me and to everyone. Remember that Jesus, when he says the name of God, his name includes his reputation, all that is said about him. It was in the name of Jesus that demons were cast out, that people were healed. It was in the name of God that Goliath was slain by David. And it was at the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God comes upon his people. Lord, hallowed be your name. This is a key to understanding actually the rest of the passage and is what we're going to be focusing on next week. The next category of prayer, your kingdom come. In Matthew, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is seeking that God's rule and his reign would continue to advance in people's hearts, through our community, and in the created order. It's a prayer category that we are saying, Lord, would you make it how it's going to be? Your kingdom's going to come. Your kingdom's going to be great. Your kingdom's going to be awesome. And so, Lord, would we ask that right now in the struggles of our life, would you make your future kingdom a present reality in this moment? And it's a moment to invite us, that Jesus is inviting us, to say, Lord, where in my life, where in this world do we particularly need your reign in your kingdom to advance and spread? Or would you have dominion and rule over all? All right, next category thing to pray for. Give us each day our daily bread. This is not a once and for all, Lord, give me everything that I ever need right now, which is how we like to live. But Lord, what do I need for today? It's inviting us to daily engage with the Lord and daily bring before him, Lord, this is what I need in my life today. What are the needs for today? And then, the next one, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This category, this petition, acknowledges that your relationship with other people impacts your relationship with your Heavenly Father. That if you are wanting to have your Heavenly Father forgive your sins, that that is reflected, your belief in who your Heavenly Father is, is reflected in your relationship with other people. And that has a direct result on our prayers. That I need forgiveness in order to honor God's name 
and that I need to be in right relationship with others as God has reconciled to me, so I should pursue that with others. Final category that Luke leaves us with is, and lead us not into temptation, or deliver us from the evil one. This category is acknowledging and encouraging us to remember and to seek spiritual power and spiritual armor for daily living and for our daily struggles. And then the one that's not included here, but we'll discuss why later in upcoming weeks, is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen is that we would be people who begin by addressing our Heavenly Father and we conclude our prayers with submitting ourselves and seeking the glory of God and seeking His will. So those are the categories that He gives us. How do you pray? Well, fortunately, He gave you something to memorize that you can work through in your head to bring to bear on your daily life and the things that are going through in your life right now. So... Let's take a look more, in, more closely at this first one of praying to our Father and our Heavenly Father. This probably is the two most, the most important words in our prayer. And it invites us to pause and reflect upon, when we go to prayer, to pause and reflect upon who exactly it is that we are praying to. It was shocking to the disciples of Jesus that Jesus prayed to God as his Father. It was surprising because in the Old Testament there were over 72 different names for God, and in the New Testament there were several more. But almost every time that Jesus prayed, he said, Father, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Father. I want those you have given to me to be with me. Father, if it is your will, would you take this cup from me? As he's dying on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This was so impressed upon the disciples that in uh, several different places in the gospel in the New Testament... When it talks about Jesus teaching us to pray, they actually use the Aramaic word, Abba, Abba Father, as to how we should pray. Because it was startling that anyone would have the audacity to address God as their Father. Paul makes this point for how we can do so very clear in Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons that have the full inheritance of the firstborn son, whether male or female, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, here is how you pray. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus prayed, Father, How is it that we are to pray and to approach God? And he says, because of what I have done on the cross, you are to pray, Father, and to commune and talk with your heavenly Father through prayer. Jesus actually goes on in this passage to explain that relationship a little bit more closely and clearly how we pray to our Father. He gives three different 
descriptions of this. The first one comes in verses 5 through 6, where he says about how we are to pray. He says, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. The example that Jesus is giving is that it would be unthinkable to have a guest and to have nothing to provide for them. So if you had the choice of not providing for your guests and being a bad host or being a bad neighbor, everybody would choose being a bad neighbor. So he says, what do you do? He says, you go and you knock on the neighbor's door, and the neighbor will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not up, get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, that is his rude boldness, his unwavering boldness, his insistence, his unrelenting determination to get an answer, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. How is that a picture of how we relate to our father? Well, isn't that how young children relate to their parents? It is Saturday morning, and you want to sleep in, maybe all the way to 7 a.m., maybe even 7.30 in the morning. But your child is up, and the, they know the routine that they can get their own food, and they can play, their own, play with their own toys. Just don't come banging on the door. Within five minutes banging up, the, the child's banging on the door, grabbing the parent out of the bed, and they're saying, well, what can I eat? This same thing you can eat every day. Well, what can I do? Play with the many toys that we have for you. Pick any one of them. Play with a hundred of them. You have lots and lots of choices. Just pick one and wait till 7.15. Right? Well, what a, well, well, I'm, well, I'm bored right now. What, what, do you want to play with me? No. I do not want to play with you right now. But I do love you. Right? And if the child continues, oftentimes the parent will get up. Why? Because of the boldness, because of the unrelenting insistence. Right? Because a child knows they're saying, this is my parent and I can go to them. And I can pursue after them. And Jesus says, this is how you approach your heavenly father. You approach him with this boldness, with this impudence. And then he explains what it is that we are to pray for. So we, how do we pray? We pray with boldness. What are we to pray for? Verses 9 through 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Do you hear Jesus' invitation to you in prayer? Do you hear what he is inviting you to do? Everyone who asks, ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus is saying, ask. Approach your heavenly Father. Approach your Father. Talk to him. Ask, and it will be given to you. It's an invitation to communication. It's an invitation to pray. And he says, seek, and you will find. That if you pursue your Father, and if you seek your Father, you pursue Him, you want to know Him, you will find Him. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. If you, come in, if you seek to come into the presence of God, God will open the door and he will open his blessings to you. Pursue after him. He's inviting you to know him and inviting you into a relationship. And then he gives a third description of what we are to pray for. He says, what among you, and there is a twist on this one, he says, what among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So he teaches us in the first section, yes, pray to ask for God's kingdom to expand. Pray asking that God's name would be honored and hallowed. Pray asking that God would provide for your daily needs. Pray boldly. Pray courageously. Pray, seeking a relationship with the Father. And then he comes to this final one, and he says, If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, meaning that you're going to give them an egg or a bread instead of a snake or a scorpion, he says, if you're going to do this, how much more will the, Holy, will the Heavenly Father give you exactly what you need? How much more will He give you what you, not anything you ask, but how much more will He give you the Holy Spirit? His Spirit dwelling in you, giving you what you most need. And the answer is, of course He will. Of course He will. Let me take this, though, and I think, and just shift this to be a little bit more vivid. What is Jesus inviting us to do when he says, how do you pray? Pray saying, our Father. Pray to your heavenly Father. That because he is in heaven, he can do whatever he wants. And because he is your Father, he loves you and he always asks rightly. He says, pray to your Father in heaven, who is the most powerful person in the entire cosmos. I love a picture of this which was when a child was speaking to arguably the most powerful person in the world in this picture of JFK with his son, John Jr., right? And it became known that in the White House, John Jr. called the space under his desk uh, his office. He called it his, his, his personal room. And I love this picture, you know, the big picture with JFK. Like, I just imagine him. He's, like, directing someone during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, like, underneath John, G- John Jr.'s there just with his toys and with his, you know, playing with the little things that he has. Or, uh, you know, underneath the most arguably powerful person in this world, there is his son peeking through the door because he has unparalleled access, an unparalleled relationship with the most important person in the world. And there's many other pictures of this, of John Jr. sitting on his lap and his other kids sitting on his lap. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is inviting us to do, what Jesus modeled in his own life. How do you pray? You pray talking to your Father. You pray as one who has access to the most powerful person in the world. You pray to your Father because Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and resurrection, has made you a child of God. When you pray, you're not praying to the man upstairs. 
You're not praying to the higher power. You're not praying to the divine or to the inner light. You are praying to your heavenly Father. And because he is your Father, the one who is even better than the best earthly father could be, the one who is everything that your earthly father should have been but wasn't, is that when you come to your heavenly father, you come to him knowing that you can demand his attention, knowing that he will never be too busy, knowing that you can ask for anything that you need, and he will never be offended, knowing that he is willing to listen and he is able to answer, and he delights to have that relationship with you. We pray to our Heavenly Father. All right, let me get really practical here. Okay, so if it's true that a definition of a disciple is people who know they ought to pray but don't, and people who think that they should improve their prove life, improve their prayer life, I hope that you do. So here are some very practical tips about how to begin praying. And I would hope that over the next several weeks that you individually as, and we as a church commit ourselves to growing in prayer and growing to deliberately praying. So how do you pray? How do you begin to pray? If you have never prayed before, what do you do? Well, several things. Here are, I think, seven recommend, quick tips to how to begin a prayer life and know your Heavenly Father. First off is set, a, set aside a time to pray. Actually schedule time to pray. What do you do when you have an appointment with someone that you need to talk to? You set up an appointment. You put it on your calendar and on your schedule. Now, positively, you can talk to God at any time. But I would say that the pattern of the saints throughout the history of the world has been that the early morning is the best time to talk to your Heavenly Father. It's the pattern that Jesus modeled. It's the pattern of the psalmists. Uh, there is, it's the pattern of the majority of Christians. It doesn't have to be that. Some people, there, some people can pray at night and pray consistently before they go to bed. But there are a whole lot more people who think they can pray at night consistently than those who actually do. So, if you're beginning, I would encourage you to follow the pattern of Jesus and the pattern of the apostles and the pattern of the psalmist and schedule a time to pray to get up a little bit earlier so that you can pray. Then the next thing that you do is if you're scheduling a time to pray is you go to bed. That if you have an early morning appointment, what do you do if you have to get up earlier for an appointment? You go to bed so that you're awake for the appointment that you have to go to. What does this mean practically? It means setting a bedtime, turning off Netflix, turning off your phone, stop checking Facebook, stop checking the news, stop watching videos on YouTube, and go to bed. Next tip, schedule a time to pray, go to bed, and then when your alarm goes off, get up. (laughs) I know, it's at that moment that the snooze button is so powerful, right? I mean, it's at that moment where you say, you know, right now, I just really, really need those extra 15 minutes. I I just need those extra 30 minutes right now. Maybe you do. If that's the case, be sure to go to bed 15 minutes earlier than you had set yourself the time before because if you really needed it, then you just need to get up by getting to bed earlier so that you can get up on time. Okay? All right. Schedule a time to pray. Go to bed. Get up. 
Next one, get awake. If that means setting the automatic timer in your coffee pot, do so. If you were about to have a meeting with somebody that you needed to talk to, what would you do? You would get up, you would take your shower, you would drink your coffee, you would be ready to meet with somebody, and you would be alert and awake. You probably wouldn't get into your comfortable chair and surround yourself with a nice blanket and a nice pillow that you can just be reabsorbed into. All right. Get up, go to bed, go to bed, get up, get awake. Next one, get focused. What does that mean? It means find a place where you're going to be uninterrupted. If you're reading scripture, I would highly, highly urge you to use your Bible and not your phone. Why? Because it's just too tempting to sideswipe on your phone when you're reading it, right? I'd also urge you to, in terms of get focused, um, I have a hard time focusing while I pray, and so I use a journal. It's not because I'm overly spiritual, it's because I can't focus, And having a journal keeps me focused, because on the one hand, when I have this in one hand and this in the other, I can't pick up my phone, and I can't check what else is going on. And it also keeps me mentally focused on seeking time with my Heavenly Father. Next here, the other thing that helps in getting focused is to use a framework, like the Lord's Prayer, to guide you through what you should be praying for. All right, these are... so. Go to bed, get up, get awake, get focused. Next one, actually get going. Actually sit down and start praying. Stop, stop doing all kinds of other things, but sit down and start praying. If this is new to you, seek to go five minutes uninterrupted. And then move that up to 15. And I would venture to say that if you do that and you follow the framework such as the Lord's Prayer and you begin to commune with your Heavenly Father, that will quickly expand beyond the time that you initially set. Sometimes what happens, though, is that someone starts praying and they start working through the Lord's Prayer or something, they say, this is taking too long. I don't have time for this. If that thought pops into your head, I would encourage you immediately at that point to take out your phone and go to and examine how much screen time you spent yesterday on your phone. And then start at step one. Schedule a time to pray and then work back through this, okay? Next here, after you get going, is then you just keep going. Is that what's more important than did you hit a certain time is that you are consistently setting aside the time to pray. And I believe that what will happen is that once you learn to pray, once you begin to commune with your Heavenly Father and you begin to experience a relationship with Him and you begin to listen to Him, then that time will readily expand. This is the journey that we're going on for the next couple weeks. But what I want to do right now is instead of us just talking about prayer, for us to spend some time praying. So I would ask you that you would put down your smartphones. Uh, It can wait. And that we take some time to pray as a church. Now, when you pray corporately and we pray together, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead some things to pray. I'm going to pray a little bit and then you can say those things in your own words. And you may be wondering, okay, when somebody prays, what do I do? Like, someone else is talking, what am I just doing? Like, sometimes you're thinking, like, how long is this guy going to go on for? That shouldn't be the focus of your prayers. Um, Rather, I think when you're engaged in corporate prayer with other people, think about it as a conversation. What do you do if several people are going to ask somebody for something 
is that you go up to that person and the one person starts talking and you're listening to them and you're saying, yeah, that, that's right. Oh, and let me, let me add this onto this. And so you listen, but you listen by participating in the conversation by agreeing. So similarly, when we're having a time of corporate prayer, what you do is you listen and you add your yeses and your amens. And then in the time of silence that follows, you add into the conversation those things that are missing. Oh, he forgot this point. Oh, that makes me think of this. That's how it works. Okay? And so right now, you can pray silently if you'd like to pray out loud. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, and let us spend some time communing with our Heavenly Father. And this prayer in particular today, we are going to focus specifically on this aspect of God being our Father. So, children of God, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment just to consider who you are. And Father, you want us to come to you as your child. You want us to come to you calling you Father. Lord, frankly, I'm not used to interacting with you in such a personal way. In the past, I've seen you sometimes as more distant, as more distant and detached. I've prayed more as a ritual, but I haven't really experienced you in a personal and relational way. I've seen you as an impersonal force, or I've treated you as some sort of magic genie or some sort of cosmic vending machine, only to talk to you when I have problems and I want your help solving them. But you invite us to come to you as our Father. So now I ask that you just take a few moments and talk to your Father about what it means to you that he is your Father in heaven. Lord, actually being still, Father, and considering that you are our Father generates a mixture of emotions. I feel excited, afraid, uncomfortable, confused, and amazed all at the same time. Father, it is shocking to me that you want a, a personal relationship with me. And Father, I want to get to know you for who you are. 
And Lord, Father, I ask that you would help me to put aside preconceived notions of who you are, that you would show me what is true of you and the kind of father that you are. Would you show me that I need you and that I, I don't need to walk this journey alone anymore? And Father, too many days I walk through my life like I'm an orphan, independent, self-protective person who just needs rescue, and I don't acknowledge that you have rescued me and made me your child. So take a couple moments and ask your father to grow you in the type of relationship that you want with him and that he wants with you. Father, you are such an awesome father. Father, thank you for creating me and loving me completely as I am, and not just as I am, but as I am in Christ. Thank you that I don't have to plead my own goodness before you. I don't have to plead my good deeds to earn your love. It would never be enough anyway. But thank you that you invite me to know you as your child and for me to know you as my father, just as Jesus knows you as his father. So let us thank the Lord. Let us thank our father that he is our father. Father, you choose me and adopt me as your own into your family. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for me to call you Father. And Father, I trust and rely on his perfect record to make me acceptable as your child. Father, show me how deeply you love me and love us in a way that my heart can understand and know and experience. Father, give me faith to believe that you are my loving Father. When I struggle with doubt, when I struggle with insecurity, when I struggle with freedom and even confidence in talking with you. Father, give my heart understanding that I am your beloved child, crafted in your image, created for a rich relationship with you because of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we come before you and acknowledge that we don't know how to talk to you. 
Sometimes we're embarrassed to. Sometimes we're afraid to. Sometimes we don't believe that you listen, don't believe that you care. But Father, we ask that you would teach us how to pray, that you would teach us to pray personally, that we would always start and come back to you again and again in our prayers and in the moments throughout our days, addressing you, knowing you, and experiencing you as our Heavenly Father. And so we ask this through the name of your perfect Son, Jesus Christ, our brother, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.